Welcome to the Triage Method Podcast with me, Gary McGowan, and my co-host, Mr. Patrick Farrell. Patty, how are you this week? As per usual, Gary, I am positively fantastic. And today we are continuing on with our discussion that we have been going on for the last number of weeks anyway. Um, and that is the training series, like how you should design your training. Or I shouldn't say how you should. It's just, you know, how we think you should <laughs> design your training and how you can get better results from the training you're likely already doing. You know, how you can organize things a little bit better, how you should think about this stuff. And even if you're like, I actually know all this stuff, who cares? At least it gives you a little bit of easy, easy listening while you're out getting your steps in, getting your walk in, doing whatever, right? It also might give you a few launching points for thoughts that you might have you know, yourself. Um, and previously we've discussed a, a number of topics and I highly recommend you go back and listen to those, especially the last like three, maybe four episodes, all the way back to that kind of goal setting episode, which started this series, because if you don't, and you only listen to this podcast, you're probably going to miss out on some of the uh, more important parts because we're in the depths of this podcast series and uh, you need the context, right? So with that in mind, today's episode is basically talking about how you intend to progress your training, right? And this is probably one of the more important episodes in this whole series because training needs to be progressive to actually get results. You know, you can't just do the exact same thing over and over and expect a different outcome. You know, it's not likely to happen. And while that's not to say that you won't get any results from, you know, training the exact same training session, the exact same weight, the exact same everything. That's not to say you won't get results from that. However, it is far from optimal, right? So Gary, progress, progress. Like what, like, what, what does that actually mean for resistance training at least? Because we'll, we'll cover cardio. Well, we've covered cardiovascular training in a previous series, but we will add on a few bits of cardiovascular training to the end of this series. Um, but progression with training, like what, like resistance training, like what does that actually mean? Like, why do we need to do that? We need to do that for the very simple reason that the human body is effectively an adaptive system. You can think of it as an adaptive biological system and one that is going to basically maintain its state unless there are there's a difference in the stressors that are applied. And that goes in both directions, where if you're just living your normal life on Earth each day, then most of the time your body composition and you know your muscle mass, your strength, your bone mass, etc., is going to stay more or less the same. If you go to space, so you're an astronaut um, listening to this podcast from the ISS, uh, whether you're an astronaut or a cosmonaut, you know, um, you're probably losing bone mass at the moment and you're probably losing muscle mass and you don't have gravity. So there's a change in your um, stressors that are being applied uh, in the other direction. Okay. So it's, it's maladaptive. Same if you're uh, in bed rest. Okay. If you're in a hospital for a prolonged period of time, there was a reduction in the stressors that are being applied compared to your normal everyday life. So you get degradation, you get catabolism, and you get basically get regression as opposed to progression. Now, if you're that everyday person, again, you're just back on planet Earth, normal gravity, and you're not in your bed all day, you're walking around, you're stocking shelves, whatever, then you start to go to the gym for the first, let's say, couple of months. Maybe you're going to the gym, you're doing two or three days of weight training. You're going to be adapting to that. It's all quite new. Okay, You follow the same program, you're lifting the same weights, you're lifting the same 
uh, number of sets, number of reps, etc. There will be adaptations that come from that, even if you're not pushing yourself that hard. So your tendons will get a bit stronger. Your muscles will get a bit stronger. They'll probably grow a bit. You'll um, get an increase in bone mass, etc. But there comes a point then when those adaptations have caught up with you, where now you're adapted to what you're doing. So there's not really much else that's going to come from that. That's not to say that it's not um, good for you because it absolutely is. You still get the health benefits, even if you're not progressing, but you're just kind of maintaining now because you've adapted to that level. So ultimately what you need to do is as you adapt to what you're doing, you need to take another step forward so that you can adapt again. Okay. And this is something that's really important to understand when it comes to progression where the adaptations are what allow you to add more weight. The adaptations are what allow you to do more overall work because it's not just the case that you can go into the gym and say, I'm going to add 10 kilos today, 10 kilos next week, 10 kilos the week after. It's just not how it works. We can't predict at what rate you're going to be able to increase the weight or what, what rate you're going to be adapting. So progress progression or progressive overload effectively follows the adaptations. So if you're someone who's, you know, designing a a good training program, an appropriate training program for someone, then they're going to adapt to that over a certain number of weeks. If they're more advanced, it might take longer for them to, um, you know, earn the right to add another five kilos to the bar because they've adapted to so much training already that there's just a longer latency period there between the, the stimulus and the eventual progression um, five of, of five kilos or whatever. So the, as we've said in the previous podcast, the longer you've been training, the less frequent those increases in weight are going to be. But ultimately, there's still some sort of training dose, even if it's over a longer period of time, that is going to lead to adaptations, even if it's at a slower rate. And the way I always think of this is basically like, imagine you are building a ladder, right? And I mean, actually building the ladder, but the ladder is already up standing. So you've got these two posts, right? And you have to you know, build every single step on that, right? When you're a beginner, right? You can literally build those steps really, really quickly, right? Because the material is on the ground. You're also on the ground and it's right there. You can literally just reach over, build it. So you don't actually need to do a huge amount to build the ladder you know it's actually like reach from standing add it to the ladder cool but as you get more advanced you have to walk up that ladder a little bit right so that means you have to bring the materials up a little bit build the next step right so it's fine you know it's still only like you know whatever five foot six foot uh, a story two stories it's not a huge ladder so it's still a case of i only need to go down a little bit grab the material build the next step right the more advanced you get the higher that ladder is, right? So you have to go down, get all the stuff, carry it back up. You have to put in all this energy and then you have to build the next step, right? So that's the first thing. So that helps you understand that, you know, the more, the higher or the more advanced you are, the more, you know, you're going to have to do to get the same response, right? But also it's important to, you. Or the reason I use that analogy is because you can't take a step without the next step being built, right? And that's the same with progressive overload. People seem to think of progressive overload as in, oh, I'm going to take the next step. Like I'm just going to add weight and that's what's driving the progression, you know? And that's not the case. The case is you've already built the next step, right? So that you can take that next step up, right? So you're basically, you imagine you're on a ladder, 
like you are staying, you know, you know, whatever, three, four, five steps below your absolute maximum capacity, right? Your absolute maximum height that you can climb on that ladder. Because you're not, you're trying to build a ladder here. You're not trying to build a step, you know, 10 foot above the last step, right? You're just trying to go, okay, here's the next step. Here's the next step. Here's the next step, right? So you're going to always stay just below that, right? And occasionally you're going to go, oh, I'm going to climb a little bit higher and you get too close to the actual end of those steps that you've built. And then you're like, okay, well, actually I need to climb back down a little bit because I'm too close to that. There's too much of a gap now between steps. I can't just build the next one, right? So that's the way I kind of think of it. Like you're always building the next step up, but to do that, you're always behind the next step. You can't just step into the ether and, you know, borrow from, you know, the the lifting gods and go, oh, well, this week I'm just going to add 10 kilos to a lift when you haven't built the adaptations that allow you to build or to allow you to actually complete that extra 10 kilo jump, you know? So you're always below your, your true potential. And that is something to be aware of because it actually does really influence our training you know, processes, our training thought processes, especially because you always kind of want to be just below failure, but at the same time, progressing your training you know which is a is a hard place to find you know it's like people always think like i have to go absolutely hard as i can complete failure on every single set and that's just not the case that's that's testing that's not building you know that's expressing your strength that's not building your strength you know so that actually does really influence our our thought processes on progressive you know tension overload in this case but progressive overload in general like we can't borrow from the ether but we want to slowly be seeing those weights increase, the reps increase, the sets, all the stuff we'll talk about in a second. And um, like we want to see that slowly increasing, right? But even with that in mind, you do still have to go back to your goals. And Gary said a really important thing there where, you know, you still are getting benefits, even if your training isn't progressively overloaded. You know, if you're just training for, you know, say general blood glucose management, like the active training itself is probably doing something to help with that, you know? So if your goals are just to maintain, your training doesn't need to be as progressive focused. However, very few people are training just to maintain. Most people would find that quite boring. You know, most people are not, you know, 100% happy with the functionality of their body, the way their body looks, the way their body performs, you know, and their overall health. Everyone is looking for a little bit extra, you know. So for most people, their training is going to want to be progressive. And if you are just doing the exact same stuff and hoping for a different outcome, you like, you're not going to be in a great position. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. And ultimately, you know, it, it is actually fine to be fair to want to just maintain, you know, mm-hmm. I think, I think that that's fine in many cases. An example of that would be like me at the moment, like I'm doing a, a lot of jujitsu. Okay. So that's kind of like my primary training goal. So if I have to choose between, you know, going to jiu-jitsu or getting in maybe a third or fourth lifting session or whatever, a lot of the time I'm going to pick the jiu-jitsu because when I look at my goals and I say to myself, right, you know, how much of a benefit are you going to get, Gary, from working on your skill in that sport versus more strength conditioning? For me, working on the skill is more important because I've been doing strength and conditioning work for like a decade, you know, I've been, that's, all, that's all I've been doing all along. Whereas for someone else, it actually might be a better idea for them if they've got no strength conditioning background, their fitness is a limiting factor 
to, you know, skip maybe some of the drilling that day and get their strength work in or get their conditioning work in. Um, so for me, when I'm going to the gym, let's say I'm doing two or three days of lifting along with the jujitsu. I'm not really expecting to be laying down slabs of muscle or seeing big increases in weight. You know, I'm going there to more or less um, maintain my strength and maintain my muscle mass while doing those other tasks while realizing that if I was to totally remove the stimulus of training, I would lose a bit of muscle and I would probably lose a bit of that top end strength. So I'm maintaining those qualities, maybe making some progress on them every now and then, but not near the, the top end. So even for someone that's been training for a long period of time, while you do have to work very hard to um, make those uh, progression steps, there's still some sort of range there where there's a certain amount of training at which, yeah, you're going to be adapting, but it's going to be a very long period of time and not something you're seeing. Um, and then there's the, the kind of top end where you're just focusing on this thing and you might be adding two and a half kilos to the bar each month, which is fantastic if you're an advanced lifter, you know, you'd be delighted with that. So yeah. Just on that as well, like this is a concept as well, where like, again, it goes back to what are your actual goals with all this stuff? Like there's so many goals that we could potentially have with all of the training that we could be doing, all the health, fitness stuff, et cetera, right? And like the stuff that you're talking about there is basically a concept of, we'll call it gain-taining, although a lot of Americans call it main-gaining, which is oh my god completely wrong i'm sorry if you were american i know we have a lot of american listeners if anyone says main gaining just tell them that they do not speak the english language because that is disgusting gain taining is what we call it right where you're basically trying to get a little bit of gain while you're actually just focusing on maintenance you know you're just basically like i'm doing the the minimum required to see some sort of progression, you know, ideally, you know, there's some progression happening over however many weeks, months, whatever. Um, but you're kind of just happy with maintaining, you know, as long as you maintain, you're kind of happy. If you see a gain, happy, right? Um, so again, it comes back to your goals. Like what is the actual goal for what you are doing? Because not everyone has the exact same goal. Like, and we've, you've definitely seen this before where someone's discussing something online about resistance training, whatever, and, they are talking about something that is completely antagonistic to the goals of the individual that they're talking to. You know, they're just like, Oh, well, like, why are you not bigger or something? And the individual is like, well, actually my sport is, I don't know, running. I'm just here to get a bit stronger. You know, it's like, <laughs> it's like I don't, I don't want to be bigger, you know? And um, so we have to be very clear on the goals. Right. However, for the vast majority of people, we want to at least know how to progress our training. Right. And that's what this episode is about. Right. But it is important to understand that, the kind of context for all this stuff that you can't borrow from the ether. You have to have already adapted to be able to progress your training. Like you can't just do more without actually being able to do it. That would be well, effectively overreaching. And you can't really do that with strength. You can't just like overreach, you know, lift more. You can to some extent, if someone helps you, you know, you can be like, all right, I'm going to do the eccentric on my own. But even with that in mind, you already had adapted to be able to do that eccentric on your own, you know? So anyway, look, that's a bit of a tangent. Overall, we need to know the, the, the triggers, I suppose you would call them for this progressive overload. Like what are the switches that we're going to flip if we're trying to progress our training? Because it's one thing to know how to train, right? And I think everyone at this stage of listening to the podcast series should know how to train. It's like, we've talked about the different variables, like from the perfect rep, we've talked about like the tempo, you know, controlling the movements, you know, even exercise selection to an extent, looking at, you know, anatomy, that kind of stuff. Like we've done a lot. We've covered a lot 
already, right? So assuming right now we're at a stage where you selected your goals, you're pretty clear on your goals, you've selected some sort of rep range because you're like this rep range, well, maybe you've picked a few different exercises, you've selected your rep range, you're like this rep range, you know, makes sense for my goals. Let's say again, for the vast majority of people listening to this, it's somewhere in that range of six to 15 reps, somewhere there, right? Um, and you're like, as long as I'm getting stronger in those reps, happy days, right? And then you've allocated volume accordingly. So again, maybe for you, you're like, oh, actually my quads, I want to really build those up. Again, we'll use you as an example, Gary. Maybe you're like, you know what? I actually just want to roughly maintain what I've got, but I still would actually like to see a little bit more progress on my, my quads, right? You might be like, okay, so everything else is on maintenance volume. Like I'm doing the minimum effective dose, but for my quads, because I want to build them up, I'm actually doing a little bit more, right? So we're allocating volume accordingly. Right. So we're doing and usually we talk about that through the number of sets that we're doing. Right. And um, but the thing that you really need to decide then once you've done all that stuff is like, how are you actually going to progress this over time? Because progressive overload is the key driver for the adaptations that we want. And I don't mean that's actually wrong to say it's not the key driver. It's the key driver for keeping things moving in the direction that you want. You know, it's not like you need to actually have a, a good program first. But to keep it being a good program, it needs to progress over time, right? So how do we do that? Well, there's a number of variables that we can look at that allow us to progress our training. And I actually think this podcast is going to be relatively quick because if you understand these and you just start implementing them, you and you know maybe you understand the pros and cons, which we'll get to, and um, you start to realize that progressing your training is actually incredibly easy. Right now, in the next episode, next podcast, we will actually talk about like periodization over time because it does actually get a little bit trickier once you start, you know, pushing out the time horizon. You know, it's not just a twelve-week program or you know uh, even a year program. It's like how are you how are you going to progress this stuff over the next twenty years of your life? <laughs> you know, um, but there are a number of variables that we can you know look at to progress our training, right? And we'll start with the one that, you know, pretty much everyone is aware of, which is adding weight to the bar, right? Or adding weight to the movement that you're doing, right? And that could be a small amount of weight and that could be a huge amount of weight. But either way, the thought process is that if you are able to lift, I don't know, 100 kilos on a certain lift for eight reps, you know, if you want to progress your training, the next workout, you're going to go to 105 kilos, you know, or maybe 102.5, 101.25, you know, again, depending on what weights you have available to you, well, that's even wrong. 102.5 was right, you know? Um, so like you're trying to progress it whatever way is possible, right? You're going, I'm going to add some weight to the bar, you know, whatever the smallest weight increment is in my gym, or maybe again, like you see a lot of bodybuilders do this, where they literally be like, yeah, I train to the max every single week. And then the next time they do an exercise, they're like, oh yeah, I added 10 kilos to this lift. I'm like, well, that inherently means, unless you think you gain 10 kilos of an adaptation in a week, that inherently means that the last training session you did was not was not to your max, <laughs> you know? Um, but that's a, that's a bit of a side tangent, right? But you either way, whatever's happening, you want to add weight to the bar. You want to add weight over time. That's our first progressive overload method. So you've picked all your exercises, you've picked all your reps, you've picked all the amount of sets that you're doing, you've allocated it, you've designed up your program. You're now in the gym and you're like, cool, I've done one week of this program. It was great. I'm a little bit sore, but nothing excessive, right? The next week you go in, you're going, all of those lifts that I just did, I'm going to try add some weight to them, you know, whatever, again, the smallest or whatever you think in your head is the most appropriate weight to add, right? What are the pros and cons of that, Gary? Like, what, like is that the, the best way we can think about progressive overload? Is that the, the main one that we should be using? What are your thoughts? Yeah. So when it comes to adding weight to the bar, 
our machine or dumbbell, etc. Um, it, it works very well a lot of the time because people like it. You know, people like the idea of just being able to lift more weight. Um, it's very clear when you're able to do something new on some exercises, like especially if you're doing something as pure as a one rep max. Like if you add five kilos and you've never done that before, you know, you're like, okay, I've clearly progressed. You know, I'm clearly better than I used to be. However, it doesn't work so well in isolation because what a lot of people will do is they'll just focus on increasing the weight and then they expect to be doing that on every exercise, every session, which is very, very messy. Generally, what you'll see is that early on in a program, you'll be able to add weight a little bit quicker, but that's primarily the result of, you know, getting used to the exercises again. So for example, if you had been doing conventional deadlifts and then you bring in sumo deadlifts for a training block, you're regaining the skills. So in your first session, the weight's going to be considerably lower. It's actually below your level of true strength because the skill and the tolerance for those movement patterns just isn't there yet. And then what you'll find is that the rate of progress uh, in terms of adding weight to the bar, that'll begin to slow over a number of weeks then. Um, but you can still continue adding weight to the bar. You just have to modify your expectations. So it might be plus 10 kilos week one on your deadlift because it was just, you know, you getting used to the exercise. Then it's kind of plus five week uh, the second time around. And then you settle into a more normal rate of adaptation where maybe you're, you know, you've been training for a couple of years and you're adding two and a half to five kilos every few weeks in that training block, you know, but you, but you're, you're comfortable enough coming back and sticking with the same weight. And that's something that's really important because the rate of progress is never, ever, ever when it comes to weight on the bar going to be on a weekly level for more than a year. Because if you think about that, like you add five kilos to the bar, let's say a deadlift two and a half per side, you do that for um, every week, you know, for 52 weeks. Are you going to be adding 260 kilos to your deadlift this year? No, of course you're not. You're not going to add that in two years or five years. Maybe if you started off really weak, you might do it in five to 10 years. But the point there is that like expecting to add weight every week or even every month beyond the beginner stage it's just not very real, very realistic. So what you have to do is appreciate that there's ways of varying the training stimulus beyond just the changes uh, in weight on the bar, um, including uh, using the double progression method, which is something that I use the vast majority of the time, really, where I'll give a client either um, a rep target and tell them that they can work around it or a rep range, like let's say eight to 10, and then what they'll do is they might do eight reps at 100 kilos. And then the next session, they do nine reps at 100 kilos. The next rep session, 10 reps at 100 kilos. And then they add maybe five kilos or whatever, 105. And that might push them down then to the eight reps, nine reps, 10 reps again. So you can go in that cycle. And that's <coughs> actually quite sustainable for um, lifters that have been lifting for a few years. Because even when you add the weight, uh, the five kilos, you're going from 10 reps to eight reps. So you might only be doing the equivalent of like, I don't know, two and a half kilos extra because you're actually cutting the reps as well. So you're allowing yourself to make very small um, progression steps over the course of a training block. 
And that's something that can be super beneficial. With that said, it's also important to realize that, especially at the advanced level, when you're doing high levels of training volume and you're using things like RPE, for example, that you, you're not, you, you might have sessions where you actually regress. And that's also okay because you're applying a certain level of training stress and you can adapt to that even if it hasn't been a progression on the previous session. You can still be moving forward because you're viewing the overall dose of training over a course of a number of weeks or months as opposed to each individual session. Very much like calories where if, you're, if you've got your weekly calories in check, even if you had a bad Tuesday, but your weekly calories were still on point, you can still make progress. And it's just like this where your second upper body session of the week mightn't have went so well, but the overall dose of training was on point for the week and you can still be adapting. So a um, couple of points in there. Yeah. Like we definitely jumped onto a few other progressions. Yeah, yeah, I kind of ran away with it. This but. is the thing with it as well. It's just, it gets, once you get into the more advanced or even intermediate, you basically do need to start running a few different progression methods at yeah. once, you know, maybe not directly at once, but you need to be thinking about these different progression methods, right? So we'll just say there's the first one, adding weight to the bar. That's our, you know, generic. That's what everyone does. <coughs> Excuse me, swear it's not COVID. Um, but anyway, adding weight to the bar, that's what everyone does. That's it, you know, the generic method. Now the thing about that is again, like Harry said, like that's it's not it's not as clear cut as you initially think it's going to be. And you're not going to be adding weight to the bar every single week. Right. And this will become more apparent in a second when we go through like RPE and or reps and reserve in a second, how you can see people going, Oh, I'm adding weight to the bar every single week. When in reality, they're actually just modulating their RPE or reps and reserve, which we'll, we'll come to. Right. And um, the one thing I do want to say about adding weight to the bar is that you are pretty much always going to be, and I say the bar, but I mean like whatever equipment you're using, just adding weight to that exercise, you are pretty much limited to whatever weight increments are in your gym. You know, for example, dumbbells are a classic example. If you are trying to increase your weight on, I don't know, lateral raises, you know, it's not very likely that this small muscle group here um, is going to just have a jump of like, you know, 10% each week, you know? So if you're doing lateral raises and you're trying to go from, I don't know, whatever, 10 kilo lateral raise, which would be, you know, a decent lateral raise to 12.5 kilos per hand lateral raise, like that's a 25% jump, isn't it? That's 25%. Yeah. 12.5. Yeah. So like, it's very unlikely, like that's be like, oh, I can bench press today. I just bench pressed hundred kilos. The next session, I'm going to do 125 kilos. You know, you'd look at that and go, that's clearly ridiculous, right? But obviously, if your gym only has those small increments, then that's what you're going to have to deal with, right? So you're going to have to, on some exercises, not have a weight increase, which then we start thinking about different progression methods, which we'll get onto, right? But one way around that is, especially if you're someone that has, you know, traditionally been able to add 2.5 kilos to the bar, you're just slowly been ticking that up, right? You can get smaller weight plates. You know, you can get like micro plates. There's different names for them, but basically they'll sell them online on Amazon or whatever. And, and you can get smaller weight increments all the way down to like 0.1 kilo increments, you know? And like, so you can add small amounts of weight to the bar, which people have a little bit of resistance to, which is weird <laughs> because it's like, oh, I'll add the weight that the gym says is okay to add to the bar, which is, you know, generally the smallest weight increment in most gyms is 1.25 kilos. Um, so, so they'll be like, oh, I'll add that to the bar. And obviously it has to be balanced on both sides. So that's 2.5 kilos, right? Um, but for you, you might've only gained or the allocation that you've gained since the last se session was only like 0.5 kilos. 
you know? So you're not actually able for the next jump up. So for you, getting some micro plates might be a really beneficial method of continuing to add weight to the bar each and every single week, right? So that is one thing to be aware of that even if you're not able to add weight to the bar every single week or whatever exercise it is, that doesn't mean that you're not like adapting, you know, you could just be adapting at a rate that's slower than the next rate or the next weight progression that your gym offers you. Right. Which is really important to understand because people can get quite disheartened when they see, Oh, well last week I did this weight and I should be up the next week, but I, I wasn't able to do it. Right. And that's, it's not the case. You probably did still adapt. You just weren't able, you weren't as adapted to do the next exercise or sorry, the next weight increase on that exercise, you know? Um, but anyway, look, the next method of increasing um, or progressing training, and Gary touched on this in a second ago when he was talking about double progression, which we will also come back to, um, is adding reps, right? Because this is clearly also a valid method of progressing your training right so if you were if you used to be able to do eight reps with a certain weight or six reps or five reps or whatever reps it is if you're able to do that and now you're able to do three more reps four more reps five more reps whatever it is that's clearly progress you know like if you start out and you, i don't know you're squatting 60 kilos and you're doing that for eight reps and then the next workout you're like oh i don't really think i can increase the weight but i'm actually going to just do an extra rep you know i think I, i'd be able for that that is clearly progression right? Like you've done more, you've put more tension on those muscles by virtue of doing another rep, right? So that is something, again, we have to be aware of. Now, obviously we still want to be working in the, uh, as we talked about previously, the rep range that is you know, appropriate for the adaptations that we want. You know, you can't just be like, oh, I was working in the 12 rep range. And I'm just going to keep adding reps until I'm at 25 reps. You know, it's like we start, we start getting into like rep ranges that we're not, you know, actually trying to target, right? So, there is a, a, a limit to this. And generally we kind of go for, we'll say a spread of like three to maybe four reps, you know, where it's like, that's what we're looking at before we're looking at maybe increasing the weight. Right. Which brings us to the next point, which is that kind of double progression method. And we will come back to adding reps in a second, but you could do something like, I'm going to, I'm going to do this exercise and I'm going to do it for 10 reps. Right. And the next workout, I, I'm not going to be able like, again, we'll go back to the lateral raise example, because you're not going to be able to add huge amounts of weight to this. Right. So you do 10 reps, you do it at your whatever eight or 7.5 kilos. Right. And you're like, okay, I'm doing this for 10 reps and I'm going to build this up until I'm able to do it for, you know, 12 reps, 13 reps, maybe 15 reps. Right. We'll just set it as a, a 15 rep target. Right. And once you get that up to 15 reps, the next thing you're going to do is, I'm going to add weight to the uh, add weight there. I'm going to go up to the 10 kilos now and I'm going to bring it back down to like, I don't know, 10 reps, you know, and try to slowly build it back up over time. And that would be kind of a, a double progression method. And there's multiple ways that you can implement double progression methods, but that would be, you know, potentially one way, right? So adding reps is clearly a way that you can progress your training. And like, it is a perfectly valid way of progressing your training. However, much like with adding weight to the bar, it is actually quite hard to add one more rep, you know, like if you are doing 10 reps and you add one more rep, it's like you have done 10% more, you know, it's like if you were to, again, use the same thought process and go, I was doing hundred kilos to add 10%. Are you going to add 10 kilos to the bar? You know, maybe not, <laughs> you know? So there are clearly limits to this as well. Um, and it especially falls apart when we're at the, the lower end of the rep range. So if you do like three reps, you're not going to go to the next session and be like, oh, I'm just going to add four. I'm going to do another rep. You know, I'm going to do four reps, you know? Like it's very rare that that's going to be the case. And especially if you are, you know, a lot closer to failure 
on that lift, you know? Again, this this is why we said earlier on, like you do start having to think about different progression methods. And this is one that we will talk about in a second. But if you're using a double progression method and then you're also layering on something like reps in reserve or RPE, you've kind of got a triple progression method going on and it can be really good. We, we'll come back to that in a second, right? Um, but what are your thoughts on adding reps, Gary? Like what's the story there? Like, is that a, a good way to progress training? And do you see any faults with it other than the fact that, you know, it can be quite hard to uh, add reps rather than adding weight? Yeah, I think it works quite well. It's it's very similar to the discussion of, of increasing weight, but it does give you a bit more versatility where there might not be, uh, appropriate jumps in weight you know for example if your dumbbells are spread out in five kilo increments that's not going to be sustainable because five kilos on each side that's increasing by 10 kilos you know from 20 to 25 <laughs> per side let's say um so it does give you a bit of versatility there same with some machines some machines have very big um gaps in terms of the the load that's lifted um and it also can reduce the the frequency with which you need to add more plates to the the bar or machine, which is particularly useful on things like leg presses, for example. One of the reasons you don't see people doing like sets of five on leg presses is because just the hassle of adding all the weight to the to each side. I'd rather <coughs> just do sets of 20 with, with lower weight, to be honest. So that again is a nice means of, of progression there where you want to keep the weight fixed. Of course, it's something as well that's great for um people who are training at home more limited weight options or you just have uh, one kettlebell or something that's where i'd be considering you know broadening like you said where we'd have a range of maybe three to four reps across which we'd we'd ask the person to increase uh, the reps before increasing the weight you can tailor that to the client so for example if i know that my client has a 16 kilo kettlebell and a 24 kilo kettlebell then I'm going to be working on increasing reps with the 16 kilo kettlebell for quite a while um, across a much broader range potentially. So it might be that they can only do eight reps of a single arm shoulder press with the 16. And I might want them, want them to get to 15 reps with that weight before we, we ever touch the 24 really um, because of that large difference in weight. So there are some of the additional considerations, uh, you know, the, the reps option, I do think it, it offers a bit of, versatility and it can also allow people to overcome some of the anxiety that they have with reaching certain targets you know sometimes the first time you um put 60 kilos in the bar you know 20 each side or 100 kilos 220s each side they can be like big deals for people so um if you can get really confident with increasing reps at like 95 kilos instead of 100 or whatever then it doesn't seem as daunting when you do get over those kind of i guess arbitrary but understandably um stressful numbers 100% right and then we touched on this one the next method here a little bit a second ago but this is basically increasing effort um or you could uh, describe it as increasing your proximity to failure right and you can yeah. do this a number of ways you can use something like a an rpe like a rating of perceived exertion you know you're like oh that was an eight out of ten that's how hard it was that's you know and that does like you can use that in a way to describe how many reps you have left so you could say like an rpe eight is maybe you have two reps left in the tank but that kind of is the next concept which is reps in reserve right and that's basically saying how many reps do I have left? How many reps do I think I would be able to get given I just finished that set? You know, I've done eight reps. Like, was that zero reps in reserve? Was that eighth rep 
you know, the last one I possibly could have done, which is very rare to actually see someone do a like proper zero reps in reserve. And realistically, even when someone does a proper like zero reps in reserve set, like there's probably, it's like, it's probably not true zero. Like it's trending ever so close to zero, but it's never quite zero. Like you are maybe again, you have like, if you had added a micro plate there, you could have had like 200 grams extra on the bar. You know, you could have had a hundred grams extra on the bar and that would have been a true, you know, RPE, uh, 10 and or a reps in reserve of zero so it's never truly zero but we're always you know tending towards that zero when we say you know i actually reached failure right and um, this is one method that can be really beneficial especially when you do layer on that kind of double progression method that we were talking about and um, or even something like the adding weight to the bar which is another thing which like we're talking about increasing effort right in terms of that's going to be the progression method, you know, you're like, oh, the first week I start this program, I'm going to choose a weight that has me working at a, we'll say a, a, an RPE seven, you know? So it's like, it's not, you know, it's, it's decent enough, you know, there's maybe a couple of reps left in the tank, you know, it's not, it's hard, but it's not exhausting. It's not, you know, complete failure. The next week, then I want to choose a weight that has me at RPE eight, right? And again, that would generally layer on top of what we discussed previously, which is that kind of adding weight to the bar, right? Where you're like, okay, I'm going to have to add some weight to the bar to get to a progression method or get to an RPE that has me at an eight, right? You could also layer on again, reps in reserve and be like, right, I want to slowly get down to zero reps in reserve. So the first week I'm going to start at five reps in reserve. The next week I'm going to do four. The next week I'm going to do three. The next week I'm going to do, you know, keep going on until you're at zero reps in reserve. Right. And again, that would generally be a case of either increasing the reps, you know, so you're like, okay, I did 12 reps with three reps in reserve. Next week I'm going to do 13 reps, you know, or it would be a case of, okay, I had, five reps in reserve the next i'm going to add a little bit of weight to try get it to four or maybe three reps in reserve right so again you can start layering these different progression methods on top of each other and using rpe or reps in reserve in and of itself is not necessarily a progression method however using it to help gauge the other stuff is actually part or forms part of a progression method because you can be at a stage where you're like okay my actual progression method is to increase the effort over a number of weeks you know the way you do that whether it's adding weight or adding reps is less important to you as long as you're always at the correct rpe and this can be a really benefit or reps in reserve as well you know and this can be a really beneficial uh, progression method if you have a really stressful life or you have a lot of other things going on like Again, like say, for example, I do four resistance training sessions and four jujitsu sessions per week, you know, like sometimes I'm going to go into an upper body session and last the, the night before we were doing like, I don't know, arm bars or something and my elbow is a little bit at me, you know, so I'm like, okay, I'm not actually going to be able to hit my actual next progression if I was purely going on weight because my elbow's a little bit at me, but I can still keep it at a relative intensity or an RPE that aligns with my goals, right? So that's, that's something to be aware of, right? So it can be really effective. But conversely, again, if you are doing, you know, what we kind of described earlier, as a progression method, you could use decreasing effort as your guiding principle for when you increase the weights or when you increase the reps. And what I mean by that is, say you've got all the variables the exact same, right? So you're doing a workout, whatever it is, right? 
if during that workout you're like normally this is a, an rpe8 right so my rating of perceived exertion is eight so there's you know i'm, I'm pretty close to pushing really hard on all of these exercises i'm a mere failure on them not quite at it but it, it, it's hard right if you start noticing then that oh the next session the exercise here or these, this set here or whatever it starts going down to rpe7 right or next session then after that's rpe6 right that could actually be your progression method right and what i mean by that is you could say across the block you could do it one of two ways you could say across the block I want to increase my RPE so that by the end of this block of training, whether it's four weeks, six weeks, 10 weeks, whatever it is, you are getting very close to hitting a zero reps in reserve, right? Converse to that, you could also say uh, across this block, I want to go from something that's like, you know, I say the first session is an RPE nine, right? And you're saying across the block, I want to get that down to an RPE five, right? Once it's at an RPE five where I'm doing this weight and it feels kind of fucking easy because RPE five is relatively easy, right? Once you get to that, then you're saying, okay, now it's time to progress, right? So again, we're using RPE or reps and reserve as a guiding principle for another progression method, like whatever the progression method is. Maybe again, you get down to that RPE five and you're like, okay, the next thing I'm going to do is add weight to the bar, right? Do you have anything to say on that, Gary? Um. I I actually use this quite a bit to be honest. Like the at least the the increasing decreasing RIR, increasing RPE. Because what I often find happening myself is that um, I'll have at, at least over the last year or so, you know, when we've had jujitsu for a while, then we've had no jujitsu, and you know, all that just the mess of kind of COVID and lockdowns and reopening, etc. Anytime there's been um, a lapse in how much I'm doing jiu-jitsu, I'll start to do more weight training. And typically, as I'm doing that, like let's say if I, I'm, I'm now doing, uh, let's say, three sets of eight sumo deadlifts, what I'll do at the start is I'll be really conservative with my RPE because I know that if I'm bringing in sumo deadlifts, my adductors are going to be very sore. So I'm generally keeping the RPE um, quite low. And then what I would do over the next few weeks is I might go from RPE 6 to 7 to 8 to 9 um, and maybe one set of 10 uh, over those subsequent weeks. So I'm letting that be the primary determinant of whether or not I'm adding weight to the bar. Um, and obviously, if an exercise is new, you are going to be you know, adding weight to the bar. So um, yeah, basically what I might expect then is maybe week one, it might be 140, three sets of eight um, at RPE six. And then I go, okay, I feel good. The adductors have adapted. So there's going to be a big increase in weight. Let's do 150 and that's going to be RPE seven. Then I might be 155, 160, 165. But that's all me trying to gauge the, the RPE. It's not that I'm, I've got pre-predicted or pre-planned increases in weight. It's the RPE that's actually guiding it. And I think it comes back to what you were saying, where like these are all interlinked and you should be thinking of them all kind of within your program as a whole. So you should be thinking, all right, when I increase weight, is this more difficult than it was last week like has the rpe changed because if you're lifting more weight and it feels you know the same level of effort that's genuine progress and you have adapted if you're lifting more weight and it's far far harder and you're closer to failure it's a way of increasing the stimulus and the stress that you're applying but it doesn't mean that you've adapted to the previous training stressors and that's a really key distinction that i think a lot of people miss 
you see this all the time on Instagram where people be like, right, back doing squats week one of the new block and they look super comfortable. Their technique is tight. They, you know, finish the set and they, you know, maybe had three or four in the tank. And then at the end of that training block, let's say eight weeks later, they say, oh, most productive training block of my life added 40 kilos to my squat in just eight weeks. But when you look at the set that they're displaying at the end, you know, their technique might be slipping a little bit. Bar speed is really slow. They're pushing themselves all the way to failure. So they might, they might have increased their strength for sure, but it might only be 10 to 20 kilos of true strength gain. And the rest is just the result of them actually trying harder and not having the same standards um, and moving closer to failure, you know? And that is also one of the negatives, which we didn't actually say in terms of adding weight to the bar or even adding reps where like, we have to assume that your technique is standardized, you know, like that's why we do stuff like using tempo or you having a a set, you fixed technique and whatever else. And because if you just add reps or add weight and your technique completely changes, like technically speaking, you are doing a different exercise now. You know, maybe you're not even using the same muscles you were previously using, you know, like I've seen that before where, you know, you're doing a a squat and it's a perfect, beautiful squat. You're like, oh man, my quads are blown up here. I feel them every single fiber on my quads, you know, light up here. And then that's week one. And then by week 12 or however many weeks into the future, that squat literally looks like a, a good morning. And you're like, did you feel your quads? And they're like, no, I didn't feel my quads at all in that exercise. You know, all I felt was my low back. And you're like, so you are experiencing, you were trying to use this exercise to build your quads and you are experiencing no quad activation, basically. <laughs> and you're just feeling in your low back versus when you started this exercise and you were like, all I feel is my quads, you know? It's like, we've, we've changed that exercise fundamentally. We've changed the adaptations that we're getting from that because we've allowed other things to slip in the pursuit of adding weight or adding reps or whatever else, right? So we have to keep all those other variables standardized and that's why we discussed them first, you know? We could have just started this discussion and said, okay, volume and intensity, that's what we're gonna talk about. When in reality, it's like, that stuff doesn't matter unless we have all the other stuff standardized, right? So the other thing I just want to go on just to touch on, because we did touch on it previously, is just this double progression method. And again, you could have a triple progression method, a quadruple. You could be looking at multiple different things, but a double progression method is uh, one that's used quite frequently. And that would be using something like uh, your main progression method is we're trying or main progression methods are trying to add weight to the bar and then add reps, right? So you might go, okay, my first thing, I do eight reps with a certain exercise at a certain weight, right? And then you're going to go up to 10 reps or 11 reps or 12 reps, whatever it is, you know? What usually it's a kind of two to three, maybe four reps, you know, uh, framework, right? We're like, that's where we're at. Um, I'm going to try to get this up. I can do an eight reps. I'm going to try to get it up to 10 reps. And then once I get to 10 reps, I'm going to add a little bit of weight to the bar, right? And that's a double progression there because you are using two methods there where you are adding reps and once you've achieved a certain rep target you're adding weight right and the thing about this is you could also layer on other methods which we didn't touch on which is the next thing which is you know uh, adding sets which is you know adding overall volume but you could also do another progression with that like a double progression as well where you are adding reps to the last set let's say you're doing three sets and what you're doing over time is okay, I'm going to start first. I'm going to do eight reps. The first workout, I'm going to do eight, eight, eight. That's my three sets, eight reps on all of them, right? The next workout, I'm going to do eight, eight, nine, 
right? And then the next workout is eight, eight, 10, you know, or you could do it the other way and go eight, nine, nine, right? And then nine, 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 right? And then your next workout is going to be nine, nine, 10, right? You could add them to just one set because even one rep progression over the workout is still progression, right? And this is for the backbone of many like uh, classical programs and um, where you just be like, right, I'm going to add a rep to the last set. Now, some people, you know, they argue, oh, well, I should add rep or add a rep to my first set, but generally that's kind of a, a worse method of doing it. And that's purely because it then builds up a lot of fatigue and you usually start dropping off reps in the, the last set. So you add a rep to the first set and then you lose a rep on the last set because you've generated a lot of fatigue versus just coming closer to failure or having a lower reps in reserve or a higher or PE for that last set. And then, you know, the next workout, you add a rep to the middle set, et cetera, et cetera. Right. And um, that generally works a little bit better, you know? So, that is another way we could do a double progression uh, method or, you know, we could think of a double progression method. We're adding reps over time. We're adding it, you know, we're thinking of it in terms of the sets. Um, but the final one that we want to touch on today is adding more volume over time. And this is one that I actually use very sparingly. Um, I usually like to set the volume at the start uh, of a training block and then kind of keep it relatively consistent. Obviously, there's going to be little tweaks here and there, you know, small tweaks, sometimes bigger tweaks. But in general, I'm not using a progression method that has a person adding sets over time. And this is generally from a practical standpoint, because if you're going right the first week, I'm doing, let's say, 10 total sets per week for my chest. And then your progression method is every single week I'm going to let's say you're doing that spread over three sessions, right? And then your next week, you're going, okay, I want to add one set to each of those exercises, right? So now you're doing 13 total sets for your chest. And then the next week you're doing 16 and the next week you're doing 19 and the next week you're doing 22, whatever, right? You're going to build it up to a predetermined, that's how many sets I'm going to do and I'm going to get up to before potentially you're going to deload, which we'll talk about in the next episode about like overall periodization, right? And that is definitely a genuine perfect progression method you could definitely do that over time and you know i've done that in certain circumstances for certain exercises for example especially smaller muscle groups like again lateral raise or something it's not like you're going to see huge jumps in reps it's not like you're going to see a huge jump in weight used and um, so maybe we're just going to add another set you know it's like very easy you went you were doing three sets now we're doing four sets you know and over a training block we're going to get that up to five sets you know i wouldn't be using that as my main uh, progression method over time and um, but on certain exercises especially the smaller muscle groups it makes sense right um so the reason i don't do it as a general framework is purely practical like this is all fine to add sets to the bar or add sets to the bar add sets to your workout if you have two or three hours to work out, but most people, they have an hour to work out, right? Most people get bored as well after an hour where they're like, oh, look, I'm just bored in the gym. I'm just, I kind of just want to leave. So if I'm going, okay, yeah, actually week one, your workout takes 45 minutes and they're like, fantastic. This is great. Got to work on time, got to work early, actually got ahead of stuff, you know, was actually able to come home and read my kids a story after the gym, blah, blah, blah. And then by week six or seven, you're like, yeah, actually I can't do this workout because I have work and uh, I'm finishing this workout at 11 PM now. And, you know, it's like, this is, this is not a, an effective strategy for most everyday people. It can be an effective strategy if all you have going on is resistance training which is why a lot of people in the health and fitness world use it um, and they're like oh yeah like i i've added more sets and whatever it's because 
working out is the only thing that they have to do that day. Like, yeah, they have to maybe reply to emails or do whatever else, but it's not like they have a nine to five schedule that they have to fit their training around. They're training at a time where no one else is in the gym. Usually they're at that like kind of mid morning uh, time period where it's like, you know, they never have to wait for equipment. Right. And so adding sets can be effective, but it's not something that I generally use. And, but it does follow the same concept where it's just like, right, what you want to do over time is add a few more sets, right? Now, the one thing I will say about that is I don't generally use that as my method of progression for workout to workout. However, I might use it as a method of progression over a longer period of time, right? Where, you know, the first few months of training together, we might be doing, I don't know, 10 sets, whatever, eight sets for a certain muscle group, right? And then by the end of the next, you know, 16 weeks or, you know, in four months time, five months time, I might be like, right, we've actually got everything we can possibly get out of doing 10 sets or 12 sets or eight sets or whatever it is. And then the next training block, we actually have to do a little bit more if we want to see progression for that particular muscle group or that particular, you know, exercise, whatever, you know, but what are your thoughts there, Gary, on using sets uh, as a progression method? Yeah. I mean, the primary way I use this in programs is when I'm bringing in a new exercise um, or a client is new where I want to figure out, you know, where their level of tolerance is at or allow for the initial adaptations. So an example of that would be something like uh, week one, uh, you know, uh, two sets of eight on deadlifts, you know, at two to three reps in reserve, something like that, let's say. Then week two, we might do one by five and two by eight. Week three, we might do uh, one by five, two by eight. And week four, we might do two by five, two by eight. So the idea there is that I'm basically building up to the level of training stress that I actually want them to be at. And if someone's doing the same exercises, then training block to training block, I'm not going to have as much variability because I know they're already adapted to it. So we can just kind of get right into the meat and potatoes of the work. Um, But generally, if someone is new to me, new exercise um, or maybe new rep range or something like that. I'll build them up to that over the course of a couple of weeks and just figure out where we're at that way. So it's still, it's still prog- a progression method. Um, it's just not something that I'm going to be using, especially not linearly for a long period of time, because it does, like you say, become impractical. If you start with three sets of squats next week, four, then five, then six, then seven, you know, it uh, just is not practical for most people. Um the only time you're ever going to, you know, really want to be doing more than five sets of any given exercise is when the RP is lower and you're working on skill um, or, you know, you're pretty far from failure, then people can generally tolerate that because there's not kind of the same psychological consequences. But uh, other than that, yeah, I'd rather, rather than going north of, of five sets of anything, really, I'd rather maybe add a different exercise for a bit of variety um, for a particular muscle group, but, but yeah, generally I'm, I'm using this primarily as a means of introducing the true training stress that I want someone to get to. Yeah. And again, like practically speaking, it just, it really, it just doesn't make sense purely for the perspective of like, look, there's a rest period that you have to take. Let's say you're doing squats. You're like, you're taking two to three minutes in between those sets of squats. You know, if you're trying to get your maximum, you know, uh, reps that you can get the next set. And maybe again, we're still using an RPE. We're not going necessarily to total failure, but we still have a certain amount of recovery need in between sets. Let's say it's two minutes, right? If you do five sets, you're basically just waiting around in the gym for 10 minutes. You know, you're just sitting there in between sets, right? So then you layer on top of the actual time it takes to do that exercise, right? Let's say that's another 
six, seven, eight minutes, let's say 10 minutes, just to round it up, right? 10 minutes. And then you factor in a warm up. You just spent 30 minutes trying to do five sets of the first exercise, <laughs> you know, like it's just impractical, right? However, it can be done. It can be effective. It just, again, is impractical for most people, right? And then I noticed that I said this was the final, but there is actually another one. I, we just don't really use it. Um, it's just, it's not that effective either. And that is basically increasing the density of work that you are doing. And what I mean by that is you basically say it takes you an hour in the gym to get your workout done. If you can get the same amount of work done in 55 minutes, 50 minutes, 45 minutes, like technically that is progress, like pro progress. Why did I say it like that? Yeah, technically that is progress. You know, like you have done the same amount, the same, the same total workload, but you've done it in a shorter period of time. Right now, assuming that you've kept the exercise technique and the tempo, etc., all the same, the only thing that can happen then is your rest periods have reduced or you've been more efficient getting from exercise to exercise, right? So assuming again, the weights stay the same or the reps stay the same, et cetera, et cetera, all those other variables stay the same. Like you have done more work per unit of time, which is probably going to produce some sort of progress, right? But again, practically speaking, there comes a limit to this, you know? And like some classical programs have used this, like uh, that uh, Vince Garanda's eight by eight, you know, where they're less like, we're going to do eight reps and we're going to have a certain period of time. Like you see different period of times between those eight reps, but let's say it's do eight reps, rest 30 seconds. And you're basically trying to get though, like you do eight sets of that. So eight reps, eight sets of eight reps, and you have like 30 seconds or whatever between each set of those. And then you're trying to get that down to as low as possible uh, a time period where you're basically just, taking a few breaths in between those eight, eight, eight reps, you know, um, and it's basically just one continuous set then, you know, which is, you know, quite, quite interesting oh. to say the least. Um, sweat is a word that I would use, but anyway, um, you can use that. Like, it's not like it's a bad progression method, you know, it's just probably not the most optimal. It's probably not going to produce the, fastest uh results it's also one of the harder ones it's also impractical for most people because you're probably going to have to wait around for at least one piece of equipment in the gym even if you're training at home like there's probably going to be some sort of changing weights around moving equipment blah 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 and um, so like are you just getting more efficient at keeping your home gym tidy? You know, it's like, was that the PR you made versus an actual like progression in the weights that you would have been able to lift, et cetera, right? And also if you're focusing excessively on this, you probably are limiting the amount of weight that you can lift or the amount of reps that you can do purely by virtue of the fact that you're not going to want to add more reps if it's going to mean that your workload, your time in the workout is going to go up. So you're going to be like, okay, I'm, I'm not going to add that progression um, even though you might have been able to. And also if you're only taking like 30 seconds or whatever in between sets, you know, you probably aren't using the maximum weight that you could potentially be using for that set because you're only taking 30 seconds break, you know? Um, so that is something to be aware of. Um, there are some, uh, ex some ways you could do this that make a little bit more sense. For example, like uh, escalated density, uh, training like edt that, that can be quite effective and it can be something that you're basically trying to increase the density of work you know you basically set a timer pick two exercises usually like antagonistic exercises um and you go to town at those you know you do like six to eight reps we'll say right and you alternate between the two of those and you're basically trying to get more work done in that 20 minutes right that can be a really effective way to implement something like increasing the density of work um, however again you are still generally limited by 
you know, the weight that you can use or the reps that you can do or, you know, equipment availability. Like I've done stuff like this before of stuff like, you know, chin-ups and dips. That can be quite effective because, you know, sometimes we're at the exact same station. You know, it's just like reach your hands up, put your hands down, you're, you're done. But generally speaking, like my dip strength and my chin-up strength are not the same. So I, you know, ideally would be adding weight to the bar or adding weight to myself between those. But practically speaking, I probably don't. So one of those two is either getting an over or under stimulus as a result of that. Now, again, you can overcome that by doing more reps for one of them. But again, it just starts getting a little bit messy, right? But density is a, a, a method that you could use, or sorry, I should say increasing density is a method that you could use for progression. It's just one that you don't see used as often. Do you have any words to say on that, Gary? Just that the primary time I use this is with those uh, body weight exercises. Like what I might say to people is, um, right, we're doing body weight chin-ups. I want you to get 30 reps or 40 reps or whatever in as little time as possible. So they can strategize it themselves. They might get 12 reps, then eight reps, then five reps, then five reps. Um, but ultimately it still allows for progress because they're aiming to shorten the time period. And they're also aiming to get more reps per bout, you know? So it might be initially they have to take ages because they can only do four chin-ups and they're aiming for 30. So they do their four they might need to take a minute and then they do their four again. Whereas over time, that person will get to the point where they're able to do 10 or 12. And then they've got, you know, the, the challenge done a lot quicker. And then what I'll generally do is increase the overall rep target or we might add weight or something like that. But again, it's just a, another way that you can you can plan training um, and, and, and yeah, a way of progressing it too. 100%. Anyway, look, that's pretty much all. Like there are some other minor ones that... You know, I'm sure someone listening to this would be like, oh, well, actually, I use this progression method. You didn't mention that. There are some minor ones, but they're the kind of major ones and you know, hopefully give you an idea of how to think about this stuff, how to think about progressing your training over time. In the next episode, we are going to discuss you know, periodization, which is basically how you are going to organize that progression over time. You know, Because it's not a case, like Gary said earlier on, that you know, we're just adding 2.5 or 5 kilos to the bar every single week and doing that for a year straight, you know, that generally doesn't work for most people. You know, it's going to add up to uh, quite a lot of weight by the end of the year that, you know, you don't see people walking around with just 400 kilo deadlifts, you know, like it just doesn't happen. So at some stage, that progression is going to slow. So how do we organize our training to continue getting progress over time, especially as you get beyond that beginner stage and you move into that kind of intermediate stage where, you know, week on week, you're not adding weight to the bar, you know, it's that, that's not going to happen. So how do you organize your training to account for that while you're still focusing on all of these different progressible things that we have that we just discussed in this episode, that's what periodization basically is. And we'll talk about that in the next episode. But Gary, do you have anything to say to wrap this up? And if not, where can people find us? As always, guys, if you'd like to get our guidance on your training or your, your nutrition, we have coaching spaces available and you can find information on that below. You can also keep up with all of the content that we're putting out on our social media. You can follow Triage Method on Instagram, follow Triage Method on YouTube as well for snippets of the podcast. And you can also follow all of our respective coaches. So if you go onto the Triage page, click on following uh, you'll see our coaches there and make sure you're following all of us to keep up with our content. Um, if you want to, again, 
keep supporting, keep following what we're doing. Do subscribe to the newsletter. Next one will be going out next week for October. And basically that will keep you up to date with everything we've been doing, um, recommended resources, uh, some exclusive content in there, etc. So do subscribe there. We'd also appreciate it if you, you know, share the podcast, if you enjoy this, share it with a friend, share it on your story, leave a rating and review if your podcast platform allows, and that would be greatly appreciated. And then finally, if you are a coach who's looking to support your education, you can join the Coach's Corner, where you can learn more about training theory, the basic sciences like anatomy and physiology, and then your nutrition theory and related content. 100%. Anyway, I have nothing else to say. So uh, enjoy your week, guys. Bye. Bye.